Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. So glad you're here on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Glad you, you came here to worship the Lord with us and open his word together. I want to put a quick plug in, too. Um, we have two adult Sunday school classes happening right now. Um, both classes meet over here in this hallway at uh, 8.45 a.m. But I was just talking about Rob Buchanan about his class. Some of you know he just finished up the Bringing Up Boys curriculum, and, uh, and now they're going up the, through the Bringing Up Girls curriculum. And so, anyways, I, I would... Uh, Put that in your court because uh, it's, it's a g- good way to go through some curriculum, talk with other parents who are going through the same things, and also get some wisdom from old Robbie Cannon and others who have been in, in there. So uh, love you guys. So thankful we get to open God's word together this morning. Um, so, you know, when we open up the Bible and uh, we start reading through some of the New Testament, um, which is those letters that were written after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. So we read through the, the, the letters of the New Testament. We read that this Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters, and specifically he was writing letters to churches that uh, he had started. And one of the things you see, if you take time to read it, is that Paul really loved a lot of these churches. And one of those churches he really loved was this church in Greece, called Philippi. And about 10 years after Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi, he wrote him this letter, which we have uh, captured in the the New Testament. He wrote it around 62 AD, and he wrote it to these Christians in Philippi. And it's just, you, you see... Paul's heart as he expresses how much he loves these people. And so I want to just read you this excerpt of of the start of this letter to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So those are the words of a pastor, an apostle who loves people. And this is 10 years after he had first preached the gospel to these people. And he was just thanking God for the way that God had transformed them and the way that they had become partners with him in in proclaiming the gospel and defending the gospel against those who would try to nullify it. And so what we get to do today, which is, I think, kind of cool, is we get to look at the backstory of what was the backstory of these Philippians? How did Paul meet them? When, When did they begin to follow Jesus? Why did he have such a big heart for these people? Um, Well, if you remember last time in Acts, we saw how God sovereignly led Paul and his missionary team uh, to go to this place in Greece. He said, don't go there, don't go there. I want you to go to this place in Greece. I want you to go to this town, Philippi, because there's people there that I'm going to save. And specifically, as, as, as Paul was preaching the gospel, um, what we're going to see today is how God was advancing his kingdom there in Philippi and in the lives and hearts of these people. And more specifically than that, it starts with uh, seeing how two very different women 
said, uh, members of Philippi um, were transformed by the same freeing grace of Jesus, freed from bondage in their life. And it's so applicable to our lives today. When we look at these women and what they were going to, it's applicable to us whether we're men or women. And so if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. Before we do that, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to continue to help us. Lord, we, we thank you. Um, thank you for your love. We believe that you are the one holy God of the universe, that you are greatly to be praised, greatly to be feared and worshiped. And we just thank you for revealing yourself to us, for showing yourself to us in many ways, and, and especially here in your scripture. And uh, as we open this word, we just ask that you would encourage our hearts, that you would feed our souls today uh, with the good news of, of your life, death, and resurrection, and all that that means for us. And we ask uh, that you would use today's passage to, to show us your glory, to show us how awesome you are, to, to turn our eyes to you, to see how gracious and merciful and compassionate you are to us. Um, we thank you that you are a God who frees and we ask, God, that you would give us more freedom today in our lives. Uh, you tell us that uh, in, in your word that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. And uh, so for those here, God, who, who do not have eternal freedom yet, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open their hearts to the gospel, that they would be saved. And, God, that uh, for those of us who, who have trusted in you, that you would give us new experiences of your power and of your freedom in our lives, freedom from fear, freedom from addictions, freedom from the lies that we tell ourselves or that we believe. We just, we need more of your power to free us in our lives. And so uh, we just thank you for being so gracious to us, and we look forward to reading your word now. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to focus on Acts 16, verses 13 to 18. And we're going to, I think, take it a few verses at a time here. Surprise, surprise. Um, but basically, Paul's in Philippi now, and he's got a ministry team, a missionary team with Silas, Timothy, and now Luke, who's writing all this down. And uh, let's read Acts 16, 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, stop there. Now, normally when Paul and his mission team entered a town, what would they do? They'd, they'd go to the first synagogue they found, right? Because they really believed, uh, and it's true, that the, the gospel was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And so uh, normally Paul would find the, the Jewish synagogue in the town, and they'd go there on the Sabbath day, and they would tell people about Jesus. Well, in Philippi, it appears there wasn't a synagogue, to go to. And uh, in order for, I read that, I don't know this stuff, I read it, but that, that uh, in order for there to be a synagogue in an ancient town, uh, there had to be 10 Jewish men in that town. And so if there were nine Jewish men, they didn't build a synagogue. If there were 10, they built a synagogue. And it appears that there were not even 10 Jewish men here in Philippi, in this part of Greece. And Philippi was a town of probably 10 to 15,000 people. And so what that means, it was, it was uh, what would have been considered a very pagan Greek city. 
So, so what did they do? Well, when the Sabbath came, Paul and his team traveled outside of Philippi. Uh, they, they looked for a place where they could pray and worship the Lord outside of the city. And, and about a mile outside of town, uh, there is a pretty little river that's still there today. I haven't been there, but I, I read about it. It's called the Gangites River, and that's probably where they went. And it kind of looked like this river, I was looking at pictures, it looks like Pilchuck Creek. If you guys have ever seen that. It's, it's not a huge river, it's just a nice little river. And, and when Paul's team arrived at the riverside, it says there was a, a group of women there who had also come together to worship God. And the, so that means th- these women were either, uh, they were either Jewish women or they were God-fearers. It means they, they worshipped the God of the Jews, but they hadn't converted to Judaism for whatever reason. And so Paul and his team, they sat down next to these women, and it says they spoke to them. They began telling them the good news of Jesus. And the first sentence of the next verse, verse 14, says, and uh, it says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So in this one verse, uh, the author Luke shares four things with us about one of these women whose name was Lydia, okay? And real quick, these four things which are significant to Luke and um, that God wants us to know is this. First, Lydia was a woman, not a man. Why is that significant? Well, if you remember, Paul and his team traveled to Greece because Paul had received a vision of a man calling them over because they needed help. And so, uh, you know, Paul and his team might have been looking for a man, right, to, 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 to help or to speak the gospel to. But God's plan was for Paul and his team to first proclaim the gospel in Philippi, in Greece, in Europe for the first time to a group of women by a quiet riverside. This is what Jesus did too. It was really often he would, he would speak in private to uh, a woman or to the least of these in society uh, in, in ancient times. If you were, if you were going to try to proclaim, you know, something big, the worldly way would be, do, I'm coming in as a powerful king. I'm going to tell all of you how it is. Well, Jesus spoke to outcasts of society uh, like the woman at the well or uh, in private. He would reveal things to people and then he would say, don't go tell everybody this yet because it's not my time to go to the cross. Well, with that same gospel, um, God uses the... Um, the foolish things of the world to proclaim the strength and wisdom of God. And he does this in a peaceful way with these women just gathered next to this river. And this whole, think about this, this conversation is gonna take over Europe, okay? This, and it starts here. Second, okay, Lydia was from the city of Thyatira. Um, why that's interesting is because she had a house in Philippi here in Greece, but Thyatira was over in Asia Minor. And remember, just a few days earlier, God had forbade Paul from going to Asia Minor, right? He said, don't go to Asia Minor yet. That's what the Holy Spirit told him. And now Paul is at a river in Philippi, and God's brought him a woman from Asia Minor. And so again, what we see is God is, he's, he's in control He's got a plan. He's working out his plan. We don't always understand it. But he is spreading the gospel to certain people in certain times, certain places, according to, to his wisdom. And, um, and then third, Lydia was a seller of purple goods. And L- so Lydia was a businesswoman. She, she sold purple goods, which would have been greatly treasured in the ancient world. Uh, purple goods were very difficult to make. They were very expensive to make. They were very time-consuming to make. 
And because it was expensive, uh, purple was used, it was rare, it was used as the color of royalty in the ancient world. And so if you were a king, you wore the color purple. And that's why before Jesus was crucified, the Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and then they put a purple robe on his back to mock him for being the king of the Jews. And so as a dealer in purple goods, Lydia, she probably had a lot of money. Uh, she was an independent woman. We read later on that she owned her own house in Philippi where she, uh, her family members and probably slaves lived. And then fourth, Lydia was a worshiper of God. So she wasn't Jewish, but she was a Gentile who worshiped the God of the Jews. Um, and... For this, for whatever reason, there's different reasons people didn't convert to Judaism, but she didn't convert to Judaism. But overall, this is the picture we need to get of Lydia. She's wealthy, she's an independent woman, she owns her business, and she is still looking for something more in her life. Okay? She's got the wealth, she's got the high social status, she's got independence, she's thriving business owner, but it doesn't satisfy her soul. And she's looking for God. As I read that, I was thinking, you know what? We live in a country full of Lydia's. Because many of us were told <clears throat> that from an early age, we were t told, you know, work hard at, at your chores, work hard at your schoolwork so that you can get a good job or go to a good university, uh, so that you can get a good apprenticeship or go uh, get a good degree, so that you can then climb the ladder of success, make lots of money, buy whatever you want to live, whatever kind of life you want to live, and then you can retire fat, rich, and happy. And if you do that, then you're successful and you will live the truly satisfied life. Now there's components of that which are wonderful, right? We're not gonna, and we're so privileged to be able to pursue things because we have freedom in our country. However, it is a lie to believe that those things can fulfill us. And that's just where we have to be careful as we set our own goals and priorities in our lives and also as we teach our children and grandchildren about what is really most important. Um, the majority of people around us believe that that is true, that, that, is the, that if you do that, that's what it means to be fulfilled and successful. And of course we should work hard at whatever we do, and of course we should seek out opportunities that are gonna bless our families and, and others, and of course we should be wise and shrewd with our money and our belongings, but it is a lie to think that any of these things can give us true and lasting value and satisfaction. That finally when we get them, we're gonna be like, I made it, I'm at peace. I wanna show you a, a short video clip uh, from an interview from a few years ago with a quarterback for uh, the New England Patriots, Tom Brady. Uh, think about it, at this point, uh, this was a few years ago, but I was thinking even now, Brady has now won six Super Bowls. He's uh, received the most Super Bowl MVP awards ever. He, he's gone to the Pro Bowl 14 times. He's won countless awards. He has literally hundreds of millions of dollars. He's a model, okay? He's married to a Brazilian supermodel. They have two beautiful kids, two beautiful homes. They're financially set for life. But I want you to watch what he says about all of this. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, put a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. 
Well, the problem is it's, you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. What we, we see in our society is, is in world is that the more uh, accomplishments we have, the more possessions we have, uh, the more that we keep up for themselves, often the more unhappy we become and the more empty we feel because we realize those things we thought were going to fill us didn't fill us. And, and the reason for this that scripture gives us is because we have a God. We have a creator. That our creator God designed us a certain way and he did not design us in a way that we will be most fulfilled by the other things he's created. By all the stuff of this world, by everything you could ever find in the universe, God rather designed us to be eternally satisfied only in him. By knowing him personally, that is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17. By seeing him in his glory, that is what Jesus prays for us in John 17. By resting peacefully in his presence for eternity. By worshiping him in his awesomeness forever. See, only when we have this type of peaceful friendship with God will our souls ever be satisfied. That's what God says. So as we look at this passage, even though Lydia had everything most people would want, she was she was fortunate enough still to, to see that her lifestyle couldn't give her peace and fulfillment that, that lasted. And so now by this quiet riverside, Paul tells Lydia that Jesus Christ is what she's been looking for. Jesus Christ is what she needs. Jesus is, is God. He is the one through whom everything was created. Jesus is God from whom her sin had separated her. And, and Jesus loved her first, though, as God. And so Jesus came to earth to suffer and die for her sin that was separating her from him. And by doing that for her, Jesus carried out God's justice toward her sin so that she wouldn't have to be eternally punished. And at the same time, Jesus made it possible for her to be in a peaceful friendship with God forever. That's great news. That means God loves us. He pursues us. He does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Well, look at the second sentence here in verse 14. It says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Luke tells us two things here about how Lydia came to saving faith in Jesus. First, notice the subject of the sentence here. Who's the doer of the action? The Lord. The Lord is the subject and he's the doer of the action. And Lydia's heart, Lydia, is the object of the action. 
And obviously Luke isn't describing uh, her literal heart. Luke's describing the core of her being, her soul. And even though Lydia has done nothing wonderful for Jesus, says that Jesus did something wonderful for her. What did the Lord do? It's, it's the second thing I want you to see here. It says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to Paul's message. <clears throat> I like the ESV Bible translation, but in this case, I don't think it's the most helpful in understanding the, the, the original Greek here. Other translations that some of you have say that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the gospel. And so yes, God was helping her uh, pay attention to Paul's words, but it's really an incomplete thought. I mean, God wasn't just saying, hey, listen up. That's an incomplete thought. The Greek verb here means that God, uh, the, uh, of, the, of, of what God is doing, it says um, he opened her heart to what? To pay attention to something with attachment. To adhere to something. To, to pay attention with an attaching response. That's what that word means. So before Lydia responds with attaching faith in the gospel, it says God first opened her heart. And this isn't the first time the Bible uses heart language in reference to making uh, people born again, right? They, for example, when God spoke through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, uh, who, who prophesied this future time when God would remove unbelieving hearts from people and replace those hearts with believing hearts of faith in God, uh, this is what it said, Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I love that. that whole, I love that second part too. It says, I'm gonna be the one who causes you to obey me and to want me, right? Even that we, we can't take credit for. That's all God's grace. And it is this work of the Holy Spirit making people born again that we see all throughout Acts. What is it? Right at the beginning, it says, well, Jesus came to earth. He, he died for the sins of his church. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And then what happened? Then he sent the Holy Spirit with new unprecedented power to earth to make people born again and to live in them forever. So it, it was a fulfillment of this passage. Um, now, obviously, I'm not going to go deep into this, but there are several biblical prophecies that are often have multiple fulfillments. But here we clearly see that what God was doing in Acts 2 was a fulfillment of, of many Old Testament uh, prophecies, which now introduced the last days. That's when the last days started, uh, as the Holy Spirit came. Now, now, why do we need the Holy Spirit to do this? Why do we need him to open our hearts? Why, why do we need him to... Um, to do this so that we can respond to the gospel with this attaching faith in Jesus. <clears throat> well, what did Jesus say? What is our natural proclivity toward God? Um, in the gospel of John, Jesus said that in our natural state, we hate God. We, we hate the light of Jesus that God sent to us. We, we run the other way, is what Jesus said. God says in Acts 13 that in our natural state, what, what do we do with the gospel, this message? We throw it aside and we consider it trash. It's rubbish. It's foolishness. In Romans 8, God says our flesh, 
Our sinful flesh is hostile to God. That means we're enemies with God. That, that we don't submit to God, that because of our sin that we're in bondage to, we can't submit to, the, to God, is what Paul says in Romans 8. Or Romans uh, 8, yeah. Um, God says in Ephesians 4 that we're ignorant toward God because of, and he uses this heart language again, the hardness of our hearts. We're so hard toward God and his goodness. And he says, God says in Romans 6 that, that we're slaves to what? To the one we obey. And he says, this is who you obey. You obey sin. And so you're a slave to sin. And you can't free yourself from sin. And in Ephesians 2, God says, before God made us spiritually alive, what were we? We were spiritually dead in our sins. We followed Satan in disobeying God. God says in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan blinded our spiritual eyes so that we could not see the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Without God's help, we do not see Jesus as our glorious creator. And this is why we need God to open our hearts. <laughs> our, open our hearts to him and to his good news. We need God to change us, to make us into people who no longer run from the light, but who run to the light, which is the exact opposite of the response of our flesh. We need God to put new hearts and spirits in us that now desire holiness, that sounds foolish to the world. Sounds like you're willingly saying no to every, all this fun stuff to, 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 to pursue a God you can't even see. It's foolishness to the world. But with a new heart that God puts, us, puts in us, it's the wisdom of God, is what God says. Um, we cannot free ourselves from slavery, from our slavery to sin, from our willful obedience to sin, um, we can't free ourselves from Satan's hand. This is the image that he's mercilessly covering our eyes so that when we hear about Jesus, we do not see Jesus. We do not see the glory of God. We do not see the light of God in Jesus Christ. And so what do we need God to do? We need God to take Satan's hand off of our eyes so that for the first time we can see the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's how it's said in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you guys, if you have been born again through faith in Jesus, this is what God did for you in the past tense. He shone his light into your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You did not do that for yourself. God did this for you. Why? Because he's worthy of our worship and glory. <laughs> because he's merciful and gracious and kind. And this is exactly, think about this. When we pray for people, this is what we're praying for God to do for them. 
for our unbelieving friends or family members or when we're praying for every people group around the world. This is what we're asking God to do for them. We're not saying, God, will you just have people pay attention to you? Will you just give people a heads up and just, you know, will you just get them to look at you? We're saying, God, save people, please. They can't save themselves. We pray to God, Lord, please give people new hearts. Please rip off Satan's hands from people's eyes. (laughs) Please break people free from their ignorance towards you. Please change people's spirits so that they're not like beetles that scramble for cover whenever they see the light into the next darkest hole they can find, but who instead are like moths that are drawn to the flame of your glory. Save them, God. Use your gospel message to save your people. Please open people's hearts. Make them born again, Lord. Have mercy, please. The Lord did not merely open Lydia's heart to pay attention to Paul. The Lord replaced Lydia's old heart with a new heart of faith in the gospel that Paul was preaching. How do we know that's what he did? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 15 says, And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful on the Lord or to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia trusted in Jesus, and immediately, as the model is in the New Testament, she was baptized. So again, if you're a Christian, be baptized. Jesus commanded us to be baptized, not because baptism saves us, but because this is why. Baptism of God's children glorifies God. When we are baptized, we are declaring the goodness and grace and mercy of the Lord who gave us new hearts of faith in him. We're declaring that our only hope in life and in death is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. Wow. We're identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ in baptism. Well, immediately after Lydia was baptized, we then see two immediate evidences of the genuineness of her faith, right? We're not saved by works. However, if we have a new heart that God's given to us and we're saved, that new heart is going to do new things for the glory of God. First thing Lydia does is she tells other people about Jesus. She tells them the good news of Jesus. Verse 15 says that she and her household were baptized. Now, maybe some from her household were there at the river and heard Paul share the gospel, but, but likely there were certainly others from her household who weren't there. And so she, she likely went home, shared the good news of Jesus with them, they professed their faith in Christ, and they were baptized also. And um, now this idea is a little bit different, uh, or, or maybe strange to some of us in very, you come from a very individualistic culture, um, and maybe haven't spent a lot of time in more communal or tribal cultures. But when you look at historical movements of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, and over the past 2,000 years of church history, and still today in other cultures, you often see the Holy Spirit sweep over entire families and tribes and communities and grant saving faith to many people at once. Uh, We see that throughout the Bible, through church history, and still today. And so what we don't read about in the Bible is forced baptisms. Uh, Lydia's sisters and kids and slaves, uh, she didn't force them to be baptized. Uh, The Holy Spirit was 
moving. That's what's, the, what, what's happening here. The Spirit's moving in exceptional power through the gospel in Lydia's life, and he's, she is now a beacon of God proclaiming the gospel to her household. And so the kingdom is advancing through Lydia, through her household, and now it's just going to keep going throughout Philippi. Okay. The second evidence that you see in Lydia's life, um, that she has faith in the gospel, is this. Immediately she wants to serve for the glory of God. She wants to show hospitality to Paul and his missionary team. And hospitality has always been, will always be, um, a key part of showing Christian love. She wants to serve Jesus by serving Jesus' people now with her home and with all her possessions. So she, God had gifted her with all this stuff, you know, uh, her, her position, which she can now leverage for the glory of God, um, finances, which she can use for the blessing of God's people, her home, which she can now share with the church and where the church in Philippi would later meet in her home. And she understands that these things were given to her, not for her to hoard, but now to use to serve others for the glory of God. Somebody had this. I saw it at their house while I was washing my hands. I can't remember, but I liked it. It was above a sink that I read, uh, and it just said, the best part of having is sharing. And I just love that. That really is a great motto for Christians as far as being stewards of things. The best part of having is, is sharing with those, um, obviously with the family of God, but uh, with those who, who aren't part of the family of God too. Um, but Paul and his team, they took up Lydia on her offer and they stayed at her house with her family. And Lydia was a changed woman. Jesus had, had freed her. She freed her from all this stuff that uh, she was in bondage to. That she, he freed her from her sin. He, he freed her now to use her money, her house, her business in a way that's going to bring Jesus glory now. This is going to serve the church. This is, uh, I can use all this stuff to show the love of Christ to Christians and non-Christians. And for the first time in her life now, Lydia is free. She's really free. And it's not coincidental then uh, that Lydia's conversion story of freedom in Christ is immediately contrasted with a young woman next who was very different from Lydia but who was also in slavery to sin, spiritually and physically. And what happens is a week passes in Philippi, and the following Sunday, Paul and his team go the same route out to head to this river to pray at the same spot, and we read this in verses 16 to 17. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, it's not surprising within a week of the gospel coming to Philippi, Jesus, the, Holy, his, the Spirit of Jesus moving in Philippi, Satan now shows up to violently oppose the advancement of the kingdom. And Paul and his team, what are they they're doing? They're on their way to worship God. They're on their way to pray when Satan stops them. And he stopped them in the form of a young woman, this girl. And this girl had been abused, okay? She did not have parents who protected her. She had owners who were using her. She was a slave to her owners. 
She was a slave to sin. She was a slave to Satan. And, and she was a slave to this apparent demonic spirit in a very visible way. So she was a slave on a lot of levels. But man, instead of caring about this little girl, the owners, think about this, they wanted the demon to stay in her so that they could make money off of her. The demon inside of her, it says what, it had a spirit of divination, so it would, it would give insight into things and that only a people, uh, that only a demon could know. So people would, you know, it's like fortune telling kind of people would come pay money to the parents to have their, this girl tell them, you know, in, give them insight into their life. And, and from this girl's terrible situation, it says in verse 16, the owners made a lot of money. Great gain. And, and so as Paul and his team were, were, were on their way to worship the Lord, this girl stopped them and, and cried out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it's kind of weird. We wouldn't expect a demon to say that. However, it's not without precedent. Uh, the Bible says many times demons are fully aware of the truth. It doesn't mean they worship God. Um, even though she was crying out true words, what was Satan was trying to accomplish is he's trying to ruin Paul's gospel ministry in Philippi. That's what's going on. And... And it's possible, it's hard, to, it's hard to know a little bit because it's hard to see the tone, right, in all of Scripture. It's like you really have to work at it, but in some passages you can't, you don't know exactly the tone in which this girl said this, right? It's possible this young woman said these words with a mocking tone, right? And, and that she was screaming it over and over again, mocking them. That's possible. Uh, it's also possible that the girl said this in a normal voice, but Satan was trying to accomplish something different. Maybe he was trying to make it look like this demonic girl was ministry partners with Paul and with this ministry team. Because if, if he could make it look like they were ministry partners, then really quickly it's going to ruin the message of the gospel. So it's hard to know exactly how these words were creating a negative effect on Paul's ministry, but, but we know a few things. She kept following him. She kept screaming at him and following them for several days. And, and that that happened for several days indicates Paul was patient <laughs> with the girl. Uh, he did not quickly blow up in anger or rebuke her immediately. And, and even though, listen here, even though Paul eventually does get fed up with this, his anger is primarily at the demon possessing the girl, not at the girl. Look at verse 18. It says, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Paul was greatly annoyed, and so he talks to the spirit. He commands a spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It came out immediately. Paul felt compassion for this girl, most likely, right? Think about it. Her parents weren't around. She's a slave. Her owners are scumbags, making money off of her demon possession, and this girl's in terrible spiritual bondage. And we're going to look at this, the rest of this girl's story next week, God willing. But the main thing to see here is that we have another story of a different person, a different young woman here, uh, whose, whose, whose story was very different than Lydia's, whose life was very different than Lydia's, but they're living in the same town. They're both in bondage to sin and Satan. And God frees them both from bondage. And notice, 
this is what I love. When you look closely, notice where the power of liberation is found in both Lydia's life and in the slave's girl's life. It's in the name of Jesus. God frees Lydia as she hears about the gospel of Jesus. And God frees this slave girl as the demon is cast out of her in the name of Jesus. And while the text doesn't say this explicitly, most of the commentators I read think that, that God not only healed this girl from demon possession, but that he also saved her. Um, true liberation in our lives is only found in the name of Jesus. It's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing and nobody else can rescue us from the realities of this world, um, from the lies that we are told and that we believe, uh, from Satan, from hell, from our death. We might be biologically alive, but apart from Jesus, we're spiritually dead. And so as we look at this passage, I want, you, I want us to do some self-reflection here. As, as you look at the lives of these two very different women, in what ways, what ways do you see yourself? Are you, are you a little like Lydia? Are you, are you trying, I mean, if you think about it, are you trying to find ultimate satisfaction in, in your wealth? Like that's what gives you peace. If I could just get more money. Um, is the core of your identity tied up with what you do for a living? With your job or uh, a business that you own? Is that what makes you important and gives you value? Or, or are you content with being a moral person like Lydia? I mean, she was a good person. Are you content with that? But uh, maybe you're somebody who's, who's fine with not knowing the Lord and bringing him glory. You don't see the significance of that. Um, when you look at Jesus, when you hear about Jesus in the gospel, do you see the glory of God in Jesus Christ? When you hear the gospel, this good news of Jesus, does it make you cringe? Or does it give you hope? Those are two very different but expected responses to the gospel, Jesus says. And, and, like, as, and then we look at the slave girl. Like the slave girl, I mean, oh boy, as we look at this, I mean, we, uh, some of you, were you abandoned by your parents? Some of you were. Were you abused by people who should have been protecting you? Some of you were. And, and as far as your willingness, have you, have you allowed Satan to rule your thoughts? And has he taken control of the lies that you believe about yourself and about your past? Do you struggle with feelings of self-condemnation and endless guilt and endless shame and hopelessness? Do you feel like you are essentially possessed by demonic thoughts or by any different number of addictions? Like, you don't own your addiction. Your addiction owns you. And that's how you feel, and that's how you live. Maybe things that you once thought you had control over, they're now controlling you. And you and maybe the people closest to you know that's reality, and maybe the rest of people can't tell or don't ever know, but that you know, and God knows that's true. The question is, do you want to be free? 
Do you want to be free from all that junk? Satan does not want you to be free. He wants to keep you in slavery. But the good news of the gospel is that God wants freedom for you. Total freedom. Total forgiveness. Total restoration. Total wiping away of shame and guilt. And the only person who can give that to you is God through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way. It doesn't matter if your counselor gives it to you. Okay, maybe they can speak some truth to you. They can't give it to you. You're not going to meet your counselor when you die. You're going to meet God when you die. You need God to restore you. And I'm not ripping on counselors, okay? Counselors have a, a valuable place, okay? But I'm saying, we, well, more than people, we need God. God to tell us, you're forgiven. You need God to say, I died for it. You don't have to keep wrestling with it. It's gone. It's at the bottom of the ocean. That's amazing. That sounds too good to be true. But that's, that's how awesome the gospel is, and that's how awesome God is. And so how do we get there? Well, you know, one of the jobs is, of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And I know I have had in my life the Spirit convict me of terrible things I've done. And there's a time where if you are saved, God's not going to let you enjoy your sin or stay there. And he doesn't want it for you because you keep putting more chains on yourself. But Jesus died to give you freedom so that you would stay free. So he freed us eternally, and now the question is, how do we lean into that grace and freedom every day, saying, you know what? I don't have to carry this stuff around anymore. <laughs> Jesus died to make me free, and I have freedom in Christ, and I have the right to freedom in Christ because I'm united to Christ. Not because of me, not because I'm a wonderful people, not because God died for me because he thinks I'm so amazing. It's because God is awesome, he loves me, and he has united me to him and his righteousness. And so I don't have to believe the lies of Satan. I don't have to obsess over things. It's okay if stuff comes to the light. There's no shame or guilt in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so for you, thinking through first steps, you know, I'm not a trained counselor. <laughs> I... <clears throat> But I don't think ultimately what we need is counselors or even other people. I think ultimately we need counselors and people to point us to Jesus. And what I would say is this. For many of you, the first step to freedom is going to have to be confessing it. Conf acknowledging it. Acknowledging that you're in bondage of some type and acknowledging it to God and acknowledging it to another person. I don't see how you can have freedom apart from that. And so what I would say is God wants that for you. I want that for you. Our church wants that for you. And this whole process of becoming like Jesus, um, moving past our shame and guilt, is a community project. It's a church project. We have to be here for each other, to encourage each other about the truth, and to point each other to Jesus. This is one of the reasons, this is something the church can do that only the church can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your non-believing friends, your school is not going to do this. They're not going to tell you, you know what you need to do? You need to trust in the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so for some of you, I pray about, man, what sin do I need to confess and to whom? And what are those areas of my life where I just want freedom and I need freedom? 
And I want to live into the purity that Jesus bought me on the cross. Um, it's scary to even think about doing that. It's very anti, I don't know what the word is, but it's, it's not what we are comfortable doing as a society, getting real. But I think getting real is, is what God wants for us. And he wants our hearts. And he just wants us to know that we're loved and that there is hope and restoration for you. And this is the cool thing. Think about this. Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell. Thank God he did. He saved to free us. Do you see that total freedom? See, you're going somewhere. You're here in space-time history right now in Stanwood, Washington. Some of you are saved. And God's taking you somewhere. And he's going to, you're on this path, and it's called sanctification, which is being made more into the likeness of Christ. And, and someday when you meet him or when he comes back, he says he's going to glorify you which means he's going to make he's going to he's going to make you the perfect image bearer of God that he created you to be and when you're that this is what God promises and assures you're going to be totally free not just eternally free thank God you have that now but you will never wrestle with the baggage that you're wrestling with right now and so right now God is encouraging take steps right now you don't have to wait till this point you have freedom in Christ right now so claim that and live into that. And so I just pray that our church, man, the last thing I want to be is a people who show up and are fake with one another. It's like we, we're here to be real and, and to love one another and to help one another. And I just pray that you can get f freedom and healing from whatever it is in your life. But I promise you this, you will only find it truly, the true freedom and fully, completely and eternally in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for being our freer. Um, you're the one who has, has taken the blinders off of our eyes for so many of us, God, who set us free from sin, um, who, who set us free from bondage, God, and oh, we don't understand this world. We don't understand why, uh, we don't understand all the terrible stuff that happens or you know, why a little slave girl like that, a little young girl was made a slave and possessed by a demon God. But we do know this. In that passage, we see a glimpse, a real glimpse of something that happened in history, which is going to be total reality for all of us one day. And a huge portion of that, God, our freedom from Satan and sin and hell, we can have right now in Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to... Um, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guard our hearts and our minds that uh, we would believe the message of your word, uh, that we'd be sanctified by your word, um, that we would be saturated in your word and not overcome by the lies of the, and temptations of the world, um, that we would find joy in you, that uh, for those of us maybe whose hearts are, have grown a little hard, that we would remember the joy of the salvation that we have in you and the freedom we have in you and that that would manifest itself in the way that we love and worship you and the way that we love others. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for, for that your plan is not to leave people chained in sin, but for all who turn to you, God, we have total freedom and union with Christ. Thank you for that promise, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.